Welcome to the CPTA podcast. I'm Amelia Sullivan. After years of working with patients, physical therapist Sarah DeMars has learned the power that words and word choice can have when working with patients. Sarah believes that through being aware of our verbal communication and avoiding broad language, we can make a big impact when it comes to patient care. Here's our discussion with Sarah. We're here today with Sarah DeMars, a physical therapist and board certified neurologic clinical specialist. Sarah's the owner of NeuroPT in Jacksonville, Florida, providing mobile in-home therapy. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. So today, uh, just for listeners, um, Sarah and I are going to talk about all things communication in a clinical setting. Um, I'll stop here and mention that in today's conversation, we'll mainly be talking about verbal communication, but it's worth reminding everybody of the importance of nonverbal communication as well. Um, so Sarah, you know, first, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us a little bit about how you got interested in the topic of communication. Um, well, I have um, my own business, as you mentioned, NeuroPT, and I provide um, mobile, meaning I go to people in their home um, who have neurologic conditions or vertigo, and my goal is to help them resume the activities that bring them joy. Um, and I started getting interested in uh, verbal communication, I would say early in my career. Um, I feel like I had the opportunity of working with a lot of really great physical therapists, and I think physical therapists at a whole um, are very compassionate and very like concerned about their patients. Um, but I think, so I think we easily become, you know, the coach, the cheerleader, the teacher, we have all these roles when we're working with someone. Um, and it's really easy to, to say things that are really broad. Um, and I really wanted to uh, delve into, you know, giving specific feedback to patients when you're working with them. So I think oftentimes it's really easy for us to say, you know, good job with that walk or, you know, well done with that task. But from the patient's perspective, you know, they might appreciate that you said that to them, but they don't know, well, what did I do correctly with that task? So I really try um, to be as specific as possible, even to the point where I try to actually take an out, um, like good job, well done for my vocabulary when I'm working with a patient, because it's really easy for me to like fall back into those old habits. Okay, interesting. So can you give us some examples? Sure. You know, if I'm trying to work on a particular gait mechanic with a patient and they've done a walk, you know, I say, I, I appreciate that you did this specific thing with that walk. Like, I appreciate that you picked up the speed. Um, next time, can you also you know, look, look ahead when you're walking? You know, I, I pick like one thing that they did well and really like hone in on that. And then I'll pick one thing that I want them to work on the next time. Um, cause I think that gives more of an opportunity for improvement for the patient. I think every interaction with the patient is so important that I try not to fill it with any sort of fluff, um, affirmations. Yeah. And, and we'll go into more of those tips and advice pieces, uh, in a little bit. Um, I want to kind of rewind back to when did you start making those and how did you start making those connections about the crucial element of communication when working with patients? Yeah. So I started my career working in the hospital. And so I would see a patient after, you know, a number of other healthcare professionals had already been in the room to see them. And I noticed um, if I was working with someone specifically um, who had a stroke, 
um, or hemiplegia on one side of their body, they would, the patient would refer to that side of their body as their weak side. And it made me think like, how do they pick that terminology um, to label their own body? And I realized it's because every healthcare provider that walked in the room, you know, you said that they said, oh, this is your weak side. Um, even more so sometimes people say this is your bad side, which that really doesn't like sit right with me. Um, because if our goal in therapy is to normalize both sides of the body, why would we label one in such a way? Because, you know, at one point, at what, at what point is it no longer the weak or the bad side? You know, at what point does the patient feel like, oh, now it's, you know, my good side or my normal side. Um, so those, those two words, especially just always kind of, uh, I don't know, I cringe a little bit when I hear it, but it's so common out there from, from healthcare providers, from the patient, from the patient's family. Um, so I would say that that working with the people who have had strokes is really what got me thinking um, about the verbal communication. And in your article, and even right now, you're kind of talking about those words like strong versus weak or good versus bad, uh, which you know, I'm not a physical therapist, uh, you are. And so those terms are really simple. And someone like me who's not a PT understands those, but we could also like you, you're, you're kind of saying make assumptions or it's a connotation negative or positive either way. Um, so can you dive into, and you kind of talked about this towards the beginning, but just ways that you avoid using that type of language. And then any kind of words that you would say, um, you know, that you prefer one over the other. So if you want to talk about something being strong versus weak or, or, or in that vein, what would you say instead? Okay. Yeah. So I've kind of kind of gotten sort of, um, very particular about it where I won't even tell somebody, oh, this tested strong. Like I don't, I just take, the, take, take those words out of my vocabulary. That's just me personal, uh, personally. Um, so if I'm, you know, someone has hemiplegia and I'm focusing on one particular side of the body, you know, I'll say, I, it's okay to say, you know, that is the side that was affected by your stroke or, um, that's the side that's involved. I've sort of been toying with calling it the training side. Um, I like that. And of course you can just use left and right. You know, some patients have trouble differentiating left versus right. So that won't work in that, in that instance. Um, but I think the reason that healthcare providers as a whole started labeling, you know, easy, easy, good, bad, you know, strong, weak is because, um, then they couldn't, they didn't have to remember like what side, if I have 10 patients with hemiplegia, you know, it might be difficult for me to remember after the fact, what side the deficit's on. So I think that's why we started using those terms. So another thought that I just had, um, so now we're changing our communication habits a bit, and that's what we're talking about. How do you ensure that what's being said is being interpreted correctly, or uh, I'm thinking not taken the wrong way? Once you start being aware that you're doing it, it's actually pretty simple to just start saying, you know, this is your left side, you know, your right side, or saying, you know, this is your involved side or your affected side, um, and not you know, labeling it in any other way. It ends up being pretty simple once you break the habit of it. Do you feel like this is something that is just, um, like you said, habitual? It's just something that you as physical therapists just do. And then you're not really thinking about like, like in the articles you mentioned, like 
how a patient could really internalize that, even if yeah. they aren't necessarily strong or weak or whatever it is. Yeah, I think it seems harmless to us. It seems harmless to the patient. Um, but I'm not sure at what point the patient internalizes um, these words, because I've seen patients, you know, years after their stroke, years after their injury, still calling a body part, a region, their weak part. Um, so I worry that it's going to affect their long-term recovery if they've already internalized, you know, there's something wrong with this part. It's never going to be equal to the other, you know, opposing side. Um, and we want to set our patients up for success. So right from the get-go, um, that's why I like to use, you know, your training side um, or your affected side, just from the get-go, setting them up um, for the best recovery possible. Do you think in addition to word choice, there's uh, something to timing? So like when you were to, when you do say something like, you know, you mentioned working in a hospital. So if someone's had five other provi healthcare providers come and talk to them, maybe not just jumping right into what's your pain or what, you know, that kind of thing. Certainly. Yeah. This is something else that I always, that I've been um, working on um, with my patients. So not um, confirming their symptoms before they brought them up. Also not confirming the difficulty level before they bring it up. So what I mean by that is I'm working with some, somebody, I'm trying to, you know, um, stress the cardiovascular system, get the heart rate up. And then I say to them, for example, oh, that was harder than the last time, wasn't it? Well, nine times out of 10, the patient's gonna, going to agree with you. Um, but I find it, it, it can be better if you ask really open-ended questions. Um, so you finished an activity or an exercise and you can say, you know, how did that make you feel? How would you compare that exercise with the last one we did? I mean, there's a whole slew of questions we can ask that um, don't ask, you know, particular symptoms. And of course, we want to know if something's fatiguing for a patient. We want to know if it caused pain. Um, but there's ways um, to find out that information that aren't subjective first. Like, of course, we learn in school, you know, looking at um, facial expression, looking at vital signs or check someone's heart rate. Um, are they walking with an antalgic gait? I mean, there's a whole slew of other ways to assess um, someone's symptoms. And then you do want them to tell you if they're able to, but just if you ask it in an open-ended way, um, you're not like leading the patient on, if you will. So thinking about a patient who comes to you and, you know, whether it was someone else or whether it, they've come up with the idea of like, again, using strong versus weak. So like, this is my weak side. Like they walk into a session with you. This is my weak side. And it's like, how do you unravel that? How do you bring them back um, from thinking that way? I definitely point it out to them. And I, I even let them know, you know, that's not the best word choice to use because um, that's the side we're improving and the side we're working on. So um, we want to love that side. I mean, it sounds corny, but like no matter what, if we're talking about a joint and a limb, you know, it doesn't matter. You want, um, you know, to love that side because that's what we're working on. That's what we're training. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if, if, long-term, if someone can break that habit, um, it's still, still investigating that. Um, if you, you know, if you've been calling, you know, people that have had a knee replacement, you know, 20 years ago, it's still their, you know, weak knee. Um, so just interesting that if we can kind of 
nip it before before it becomes a permanent hab habit for patients, I think that would be better. So what are some strategies? I mean, you've given examples of ways that you you talk about training aside or, you know, being loving to aside. Um, so what are some strategies that, uh, you know, whether you're a student right now or you're a practicing clinician out in the field that you could start implementing? And um, if this is your current vernacular, how could you kind of make that switch? Yeah, well, you can start actually when you're talking to other, like your peers, your other healthcare professionals, other therapists, um, and not kind of slipping and reverting back to just using the simple, good, bad language, you know, use the big words you learned in school, I would say to start. Um, and then when you hear someone else say it, you know, providing an education moment, you know, why you choose to say, you know, this versus, you know, another negative connotation, because once if we start talking to our coworkers in a certain way, we're going to slip and start talking to the patient that way. So I think just before we even speak to a, a patient kind of in their head, you know, how does, how's that going to sound? Um, and that's the other thing actually I'm going to talk about, <laughs> um, that I noticed, um, Sometimes physical therapists, you know, me too included in this, um, we sort of fill in our treatment session with lots of words and realizing that we don't necessarily have to be talking the whole time. And that might even be um, kind of a mental overload for the patient. So I actually try to talk less um, and listen more and of course, um, look more at other objective signs. Like if I'm talking on and on, I'm not even like paying close attention to what's going on. So I'm having a patient do a particular task. Like it's okay for me to be silent and let them do the tax task. And sometimes during the task, if I want them to modify something, you know, I'll say what I want them to modify right then. And then for some patients, no, I, I wait till they're finished. And then I say, well, I noticed, you know, X, Y, and Z while you were doing that. Um, next time, can you do this? Um, I liked how you did this particular, um, you know, component of the task. I just try to get really like detailed when I'm talking to them. Um, so every interaction with the patient is therapy oriented. Every interaction is focused on their deficits um, and how they can modify, you know, how they're doing something. Yeah, I'm just, uh, and, and to your point about not talking the whole time. So, um, you know, being a patient of physical therapy for many years now, it's, it's almost therapeutic, right? Like you come to session with whatever pain you have, whatever ailment you have, um, and you're kind of talking through it and whether it's telling the story of what happened or, uh, you know, giving the therapist an update of for the week, what's going on. Um, so do you find yourself, so like you said, you don't, talk as much, but do you find yourself kind of re-navigating that conversation as well? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think the subjective is incredibly important. Um, so I love it when my patients, you know, want to tell me how their pain is and their backstory and all of that. I mean, that's vital information. Like I try not to, um, if I have the time, I don't, you know, cut somebody off. That's why I work for myself because I can um, spend more time on certain things such as that that are necessarily billable because I do think this objective is so important. Um, I guess I mo modulate what, how much, what, how much I say. Um, and I've kind of also been toying with the idea of like, do I need to 
um, explain every portion of my evaluation to the patient. I tend to um, now, just because I found, you know, maybe 10 things I want to address on the evaluation, I don't need to list all 10 things after the evaluation. I can focus on like maybe like the two top things. Um, the other ones I know that we're going to address and they're in my mind, but like, I don't want to take away from like the main thing I want the patient to do. Before we wrap up, Sarah, prior to our conversation here, you mentioned that you had a few examples and I know uh, there was another example that you had mentioned to me. Uh, if you just want to share that with our listeners. Um, that was kind of like what we talked about earlier, but let's say, um, for example, someone's in bed for a while and I'm going to help them sit on the side of the bed for the first time. Um, so because they've been um, you know, supine for so long, I expect them to have a degree of lightheadedness or dizziness from their sitting, right? But so when I sit them up, I don't have to immediately say, are you dizzy, right? Um, I can check their blood pressure. I can, you know, look at their eyes, look at their alertness, talk to them. Um, so instead of immediately jumping in with, are you dizzy? You can always just say, how are you feeling? <laughs> um, there's just lots of simple things. And I think that also goes back to new students. Um, there's lots of simple ways to like ask things and word things that you can actually cut out. Are you dizzy? Was that painful? You know, was that hard? Those are questions that I try to avoid. Because they're kind of planting the seed, right? Yeah, planting the seed. Yeah, exactly. All right. And last thing, uh, do you have any advice for our listeners related to communications and the clinical setting? Yes. I mean, I know as, stu as students, you learn in school to use um, patient first language, you know, so you're not talking about someone like they're a diagnosis. And so I think what we're talking about today fits really well into that is um, the reason you, you don't talk about a patient like that is, you know, what does the patient interpret if you're referring to them as a diagnosis? You know, they're no longer a person. We have to always remember we're treating the person. So um, also considering the fact that in addition to them being a person and not their condition, they're also very much listening to what you're saying and, in, in, you know, their treatment, you know. Yes, session. our patients are definitely looking to us to be the expert and they know they think of us as experts. Um, sometimes we don't give a give ourselves enough credit. I know as a new grad, we think we don't don't know enough, um, but we are experts. The patient knows basically nothing. Okay. So <laughs> whatever you have is more than what the patient has. Um, so yeah, lead by example. Um, you know, refer to the patient, you know, in a positive way, but but tell the truth when you're talking to the patient um, as well. So if they, you know, made an error in the task you assigned for them, you know, don't tell them, hey, good job. Um, it's okay to, to, you know, offer, you know, a, a point of criticism, if you will, but something that you're gonna, that, that you know that they can work on for next time. I would never like point out something to a patient that isn't achievable because, you know, what purpose does that give? Um, when I'm going to ask them to um, work on a component of the task, I'll always pick something I know that they can, you know, do in a different way. Yeah. And to the point of this whole conversation, word choice matters. So, um, well, thank you so much, Sarah. This is a, this is a really great conversation. Thank you. To read Sarah's APTA perspectives article, the B word, watch your language, visit APTA.org. 
APTA podcasts like this one are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. I'm Amelia Sullivan. Thanks for listening.